0: I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8 of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. And this week, we are going to be talking team tennis for our young players. And my guest is Tammy Anderson. Tammy works in Louisville, Kentucky at the Springhurst Tennis Club slash Top Gun Academy. She is an amazing coach who I've known for several years now and gotten to know better in the past couple of years through our work at the WTCA. And I was just thrilled when Tammy reached out to me about coming on the podcast to talk about the recent Southern Cup Tammy coached a 12 and under team at Southern Cup last week and just had a phenomenal experience and wanted to share that with all of you. And our conversation kind of evolved into the various team events that are available for our young players and why kids should play team tennis, why they should get involved in these team events, what they can learn from them, and how. They, the team events can help with their overall tennis development. So, I hope you enjoy my combo with Tammy. Also, want to just remind you guys that we have started a Patreon page for the podcast, and the link to that is in the show notes. So, if you are interested in supporting the Parenting Aces Tennis Podcast, we would love to have you on board. We have different levels of support with various rewards that come with those levels. So be sure and check us out at patreon.com slash parenting aces. And last but not least, if you haven't already... Please become a member of parentingaces.com either as a free member or as a premium member, which also comes with some added benefits. And uh, we would love to have you join our community, take part in the various events that we're putting on, webinars, uh, camps, and uh just all sorts of little extras that we offer to our members. So I think that's it for this week. My big news kind of came out already, I think, but I am making a move from Atlanta to Southern California in a couple weeks and am looking to connect with any of you who are based in Southern California. I'll be in Orange County and am really looking to do some work with the tennis community there up in Los Angeles as well. So if you're in that area and want to meet up for lunch or coffee or to hit some tennis balls, please reach out to me. You can find me through the website, through social media, my email and cell phone. Contact info is on parentingaces.com as well. So I look forward to hearing from you. All right. For now, just sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation with Tammy Anderson. Tammy Anderson, welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. It's great to finally get you on. Thank you so very much. Excited to be be talking to you. Well, you know, you and I, I think we met while my son was still playing juniors, but we didn't really know each other. And we got to know each other a little bit better last summer at the WTCA conference in New York. And then now I just feel like you're an old friend. So... Good, same here. (laughs) Yeah. So I want you to start out by letting our audience get to know you a little bit. So if you could tell us about how you got started in tennis and what you're doing now. Okay. Well,
1: um, I started when I was about eight years old, just playing around for fun. Obviously, that's how everybody starts. Um, Just kept playing through uh, middle school and high school uh, playing, uh, tournaments, um, locally where I was living in Washington state at that time, um, continued to play for high school and my college team, um, Whitworth, uh, it's now Whitworth university. Uh, when I played, it was NAIA. Now it's a division two school. So huge jump for them. Um, you know, graduated school, went out into the workforce, for a while, continued to play tennis in the league, um, was coaching a little bit on the side. Parents would come to me or friends of, um, that were on the tennis team would come to, hey, can you give my kids some advice and whatnot? So, um, you know, it just started a long time ago, um, but I actually didn't get certified um, until I was older, but um, I continued teaching throughout my lifetime. Um, finally settled down. Uh, we came out of, we were in Canada for a while. I'm Canadian. Uh, came out of Canada and came into Kentucky. Um, worked there at, um, in uh, Crestview Hills. And had my own academy for about five or six years. Had about 65 students, um, mostly recreational and recreational adults. Uh, ran clinics, uh, whatnot, gave private lessons. Um, you know, my husband took a job in Louisville. We moved to Louisville and uh, got on at uh, Top Gun Academy slash Springhurst Tennis Club. I uh, have been there seven years. And since I've been there, I started out as a staff pro. And then moved on to the Future Stars director and started really diving into developing uh, some really top-notch players in uh, the 10s and 12s and have just really taken off with that. Um, four years ago, got the chance to meet Sarah Stone. Uh, she is a WTA Gold coach. And her and Anne Grossman, um, Ann was, I believe, her top ranking was 29 in the world. Her and Sarah are good friends and they got involved and came up with the idea of creating the Women's Tennis Coaching Association. And I think I was just in the right spot at the right time and got involved with them. And so the last four years, you know, going really strong with them as far as, traveling the world, um, leading the way for uh, the female pathway journey and how to coach female athletes versus male athletes. What's the difference? What What are the things that we should be looking at mentally versus physically? Um, and continuing that outreach around the world.
0: Fantastic. Uh, what attracted you to working with the younger players. You said you've been doing a lot of work at the club in Louisville with the 10s and 12s. What makes coaching them unique and what makes coaching them so attractive for you?
1: Well, for me, it's always been the fact that I feel like I can tease the kids, you know? So in other words, we're talking trash to each other at that age. <laughs> and <laughs> they are literally eating it up because here's an adult that's talking to them on their level. Um, And also at the same time, they're gaining that love and passion for the game of tennis. Um, The other thing that's very dear and close to my heart is the fact that I have three daughters and, you know, that middle school Period of time was not the easiest thing for them. And they struggled, but they have, you know, been, have become these wonderful, beautiful young women as adults. And so that passion for being a mentor for the girls, you know, those ages of, you know, 8 to 14, 15, is really hit home for me. And I realized early on that because of the way that our culture has developed and both parents are working now that a lot of the kids just aren't getting everything that they need. And so that's why this has been, you know, laid on my heart that I needed to be there for that age group.
0: What makes teaching that age different? I mean, so obviously they're younger. We, you know, we get that, but You know, from a coaching standpoint, um, any beginner that enters the game has to learn basic technique, movement, tactical patterns, things like that. But if that entry-level person is a young child, obviously you're teaching differently to them than you would to, you know, a 40-year-old that's learning the game for the first time. Can you talk about the differences in teaching to the younger age versus, you know, even teenagers or older adults.
1: Sure. Um, well, first off, let's just make sure that everybody understands that when you're teaching the younger kids, they want to learn those technical things, those tactical, the strategies, the way that it's presented is the difference. So, so, you have to, it's like building a puzzle. You have to put one piece in at a time. The kids see just one thing, and then they start connecting the dots. So you're working in definitely in steps and progressions. And the other big thing for the children is the way that uh, society is now, where we're all socialized and digitized, um, you know, everything is a game. You have to put in perspective um, the way that you're going to teach. So, if you are, say, teaching them how to track the ball, you know, how are you going to, number one, how are you going to make that fun for them? And as you're explaining it, you've got to do it in pieces. So, the first thing is you got to talk about anticipation. Okay, where is that ball uh, gonna land? Where are you gonna anticipate? And most kids, that's a big word for them. So then you have to talk to them and say, okay, let's 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 take something out. What can you anticipate? And most of the time, they're like, well, I'm not sure what you mean. I said, okay, well, mom's making cookies, and you're waiting on mom to get those cookies done. When are they done? So you know, you're you're taking everything. That you know to teach, and you have to break it down into segments. Then, the other critical part about this is every single child has a different learning style. They're either right brain or left brain, they're either visual, they're auditory, or they're kinetic, and then some of them are both or they have all three. So, you really have to find out what the learning style is and then adapt what you're teaching to that specific child, especially. You know, and you might have three or four different learning styles within a big group.
0: So, I mean, that's a huge challenge for a coach. And couple that with shorter and shorter attention spans that we know, you know, is a situation with kids now. I mean, it, it takes a special person to commit to teaching that age group for sure.
1: Well, I think you've got to have a lot of patience. Number one. And I think you have to have some kind le- of level of encouragement um, along with the kids because a lot of the kids struggle these days. Most kids can't track the ball anymore. Um, whereas before, maybe 20 years ago, they were outside throwing the ball and everything. Now they're not so much. Now it's that hand eye coordination is just not there. So a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, drills that we do are helping the kids, number one, track the ball.
0: So developing basic athletic skills that kids used to develop oh. on the playground. Exactly. Right. Exactly.
1: Right. Because the kids would come, they'd go, they'd play at school on the playground, they'd have recess and they'd come home and they'd go out and play it again. But that's right. not happening these right. days, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's so sad to me. And uh, you know, I before Parenting Aces, way before Parenting Aces, um, I was very involved in the legislative side of getting PE back in the schools, and you know, learned a lot about childhood obesity and inactivity and, and the you know the the results of inactivity and obesity in our children and the health risks and all of that. But I think one of the things that we're seeing now that everybody's just now connecting the dots, as you mentioned before, which is the fact that these kids aren't having recess, aren't having daily PE, aren't going outside and playing, is now showing up on the organized sports playing field because our kids haven't developed these basic athletic skills that used to just happen organically. Right. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So, yeah.
0: You know. So you as the coach are, are not just teaching tennis anymore. You're you're having to start with some skills that are precursors to learning tennis.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean it's it's all it's all about the hand to eye contact. Um, you know, I mean the kids will, you know, if they're not doing well with that, then you know, we have to back up. And we've got to get them moving. I mean, you know, even as you are watching them, you know, as they come out onto the court and you say, Okay, everybody, let's do some warm up, let's 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 do some fun things, you know, it's okay, take a lap or two. And then as you're watching them, you're looking at their the way the style of their run. Are Mm -hmm. they coordinated? Is it opposite leg? opposite arm as they move forward is their upper body forward or is it are their uh, legs in front of them which is rare to see but um most of the time you see where they're bending over you know and they're not you know above their body um you know so you can just tell by that and then the the strangest thing is when they're throwing a ball it's like their arm is jerky Hmm. and it's like it kind of gets a little spastic so you're kind of like okay we got to work on that you know and and just these kinds of things and then at that point you know until they really develop that hand-eye coordination and they can track the ball you know then at that point that's when you start tossing the ball and that's right. when the low compression balls come into play and those 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 really really have come full circle I mean I've got eight nine-year-olds that look like a mini Rafa Nadal and Serena Williams right now
0: because of playing with the low compression balls and having that yeah. extra time to set up for shots. And is that what you're, yes. yeah. Yes. And then, and then they
1: move, you know, they, they go from the red to the orange and to the green. And then, you know, the transition period is not this huge, big, you know, downswing. It's a very, it goes down a little tiny bit, then it comes back up again because, you know, they've had the chance. To grow and their center of gravity has settled down into their stomach and they've had a chance of to grow into the appropriate ball. Interesting. So it's, yeah, I mean, I've got a group of kids that came um, through me, uh, you know, in their six, seven, um, you know, they were like ranked in Southerns in top 10, and there was like a huge group of them. And now they're nationally ranked and playing in the 14s. So, I mean, it's just just incredible. And they're they're not barely 12 years old.
0: Wow. So, so it occurs to me as I'm listening to you talk about all of this stuff, Tammy, that there's some concrete things that parents can be doing with their kids between tennis lessons, between groups and drills, and all of that that are really going to benefit their kids as they go through this development process. I mean, things like getting outside and tossing a ball around as you said or, you know, playing tag or taking them to the playground and, you know, making a game out of an obstacle course around the different pieces of equipment on the playground or, you know, taking a ball out and kicking it around. Things that are easy, inexpensive, Can be done in you know a fifteen minute block of time that would really benefit these children once they are on the tennis court and ready to start learning this sport.
1: Right, right. And I'll and I'll tell you, uh, the kids that are out there that are playing soccer, they develop the fastest.
0: Interesting, because of the
1: footwork. What what is it? Footwork. The footwork and the foot-to-eye contact. There, If you think about it, they have to make contact with their foot most of the time in soccer out in front of them. Mm-hmm. That's
0: what you're doing with the tennis ball and the racket. So it's just understanding that concept of C-ball, hit ball, or C-ball, kick ball, right? C-ball anticipate judge where you need to be to make contact out in front of you. I love that. I love that. All right. So really the reason I wanted to have you on besides the fact that you're an awesome woman and an awesome coach is you recently coached the 12 and under Southern cup team. And a lot of our listeners may not know what Southern cup is. And I would love for you to Talk to us about the concept of Southern Cup, why it's in existence, and what your experience has been. Well, the Southern Cup is a tournament where the
1: top three boys and three girls from each state come to compete against the other eight states. So, Southern is nine states, and so all the states are coming together. Uh, to compete in a team format. So um, all, the, all, the, all the points, so say like uh, the boys, we had the format was the first day. There were two singles matches for each of the boys and then two singles matches for each of the girls and then uh, two doubles. So all the points were added together as a team The most you could get was seven. So let's say I had three boys and three girls on my team and all three boys won, all three girls won. So that's six points, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. So then we played a round of doubles. So we played three doubles, Uh, a boy's double, a girl's double, and a mixed double, and in order to get one point for the doubles, you had to win two out of three
0: of those doubles matches. And when you say that- they played a match, what type of scoring format was used?
1: Uh, it was um, a uh, first to six win by two uh, two sets a third set tie break
0: points. so. A 10 point breaker. Okay. And yeah. regular scoring, no ad scoring. It was no ad scoring. It was no ad scoring. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, so day one, everybody played a, a singles match. Everybody. Um, well, not everybody played doubles. You played one boys, one girls and one mixed. And so the mix, did that have to be the player that didn't play the other, you know, either girls or boys. So everybody so, got to play a doubles.
1: So the first day it was, it was, it
0: was a very, very long day.
1: Um, the first day. So in the morning we played, we started out, we had three doubles matches. Then the kids went in, each child played a singles match. And that was one that included, one, that was for one team against another team. We okay. were team uh, Coco Goff <laughs> yeah, okay. we we're the newcomer. I love it. I I think we played against Team Nadal.
0: Okay. So, oh, I'd have trouble deciding who to root for in that situation, man. <laughs> <laughs> <We> <laughs> Two of my face. Yeah. You got to go with the newbie. Yeah.
1: Um. And we tied it up uh, three all, and um, but in the doubles. We lost. So our team score was three to four.
0: Got it. And then you move on the next day and play another team. Is that how it works? Or was it like a compass?
1: No, no, that was the morning. And then in the afternoon we played team. Let's see. uh, Federer. Okay. And the same thing we lost three, four. And then that was a very long day for everybody. I think I put like 25,000 steps on my Fitbit. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And I wasn't even playing. (laughs) Uh, And uh, then the next day on Saturday, everybody just played two singles matches. And then we had our team banquet that night. And then Sunday morning, uh, we only played two doubles. And then we had the team awards so on saturday we tied three uh three all three all um and then on sunday we lost by one in each of the doubles so unfortunately we had um everything was so close um that we had uh we lost so but we got the Teen Spirit Award.
0: <laughs> I love it. So so there's a team from each of the nine states. So in each age group, there's Southern Cup for 12s. Is Aren't there Southern Cups for other age groups yes. as well? 14, 16s, and 18s. And they're actually starting
1: today for the 14, 16, and 18s. And the difference between the 12s and the other three is that in the 12s, those kids are still kind of been being nurturing and coached. So they allowed for us to be on court as they were playing. Um, now, there were a couple of coaches that did that. I did it every once in a while if I felt like that player needed a little extra encouragement. But otherwise, I tried to stay back behind the fence so I can, you know, and I'd go out on the changeover and coach if I felt they needed it. Um, but you know, part of tennis is conflict resolution. And if we're not letting our kids try and figure it out and think through it, it's never going to get developed.
0: It's so interesting because, you know, we've seen on court coaching at various levels, you know, for the older players, for example, in college, they can have on court coaching and certain professional events they can have on court coaching, um, U.S. Open juniors just completed. They could have on-court coaching, boys and girls. And, you know, in several WTA events, uh, the women can have on-court coaching. I, to me, it's always been backwards. Like, who needs the on-court coaching? It's the kids that are just starting out, the developing players. They're the ones that may need a reminder now and then about what they're supposed to be doing out there, not just – In terms of hitting the ball, but also in terms of behavior, um, in terms of making good line calls, being a good sport, all those things. And to me, it was just always so backwards. Like, why would you allow coaching at the highest level of the game, but leave our youngest players out there to flail around on their own? It made no sense. So I love that you guys were there and could coach if it was needed.
1: Right. And and if you really think about it again, um, it's 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 starting from when they're small and working towards this huge thing. So they've kind of like got this huge giant bubble around them. And that bubble is being filled with everything that they have learned. And as they have as they're younger, they're Their mindset, the way that they think, is trying to encompass everything inside that bubble. And a lot of times, things get missed. So, and as they get, they progressively get older, and the mind matures, and the thinking changes, those things just start coming out, and they became just, they just become natural for them. But when they're younger, every, you know, everybody's got to remember, their brains are still, being built they're still growing you know every time you learn something new you get a little tiny dent in your brain right you know so i mean for them and just you know at that age you know hormones haven't always set in and that's a huge huge part of all of this for those kids for the 12 and unders even the
0: 14 still struggle with this if you get you get a late bloomer Right, right. so let's let's get back to the format of Southern Cup and kind of the reason oh. behind it because I know it's been around for a while, but you know there's being a lot written about uh, how many players were losing by age 13 in the sport and how you know the thought process is if we create more team events, maybe we'll be able to, hang on to these players and keep them involved in the, in the game of tennis. And Southern cup is a great example of that. It's, it's a team event. It's both genders playing together as a team. Uh, it, it sort of mirrors club tennis at the college level, you know, where you have yeah. both genders on the team. And I, I, I mean, what are your thoughts about, you know, what you're seeing in terms of the atmosphere around Southern Cup? What are you hearing from the players, the parents, the other coaches, et cetera?
1: Well, number one, I think the team event is the best format for everyone concerned. Um, And there's several reasons for this. Um, First and foremost is development. So, on my team, my three boys and my three girls, um, one was way ahead in his growth spurt. Two in the boys hadn't even hit their growth spurts yet. And the girls, two had hit their growth spurts and one hadn't. So, it really equals out to a level playing field, number one. Number two, if somebody, all of a sudden tanks, because they're playing the team sport, it might not necessarily affect the outcome. And number three, I had a situation on my team where um, somebody was not doing well and got really upset afterwards. And you know what happened is the team came over and just encouraged this person and just made them feel so much better lifted them up out of their, um, you know, being down and, you know, even though we finished last place, it was a team effort. It wasn't just one person. And, and how... I think-
0: how did you instill that attitude, that mindset into these six kids? Because if they're the best, they're the best kids in your state. So these are kids who are used to playing individual tournaments and competing as an individual. How do you get them to shift to that team mindset? Well, first off, let's go, let's go back a a wee
1: bit. So and, and this, I didn't get a chance to say earlier, but with the 12, because the 12 still need that encouragement and that coaching because their brains aren't fully developed yet. Um, what they do with the 12 is we do a waterfall. So, as far as the teams are concerned, so I, even though I was representing Kentucky and I had three boys and three girls from Kentucky, I had, I didn't have any Kentucky kids on my team. I had kids from the other states. So these were kids, number one, I didn't know other than who they were as far as their rankings. Some of them I knew from previous tournaments that I had met, but I think there were, um, I knew two of them and the other four I did not. So in other words, so instilling that, First, got to develop a relationship. You just can't go up to somebody and say, hey, you need to do this. You know, they don't know you. Um, You know, they haven't talked with you. You've got to develop that with them. So there's got to be a relationship established. So Thursday night, when everybody checked in, I specifically went up and found each of my players. And I talked to them about their game. And I talked to them about who I was. What my expectations were, you know, I, and I, I made very clear to everybody. I said, look, here are my expectations. I don't expect us to win, but I expect you to bring every single tool in your bag, your tricks, you would bring it out on that tennis court. And I expect you to give me your best. And when you are down on yourself, you need to let me know if I'm not sensing it and so that I can talk you through it. I said, I'm here to support you. I'm here to coach you. I'm here to tell you maybe something that you're missing. Are you picking up the patterns that they're doing? Are you disrupting their rhythm? What are they doing to try to do that to you? What are you doing in rebuttal to that? So you know, I I made it very clear to them. I said, look, I'm a positive person. I like to keep it. I like to keep it up. I like to keep a strong mindset. And I talked a lot to them about their mindset. What are some of the things they could say to them during the coaching sessions? I wouldn't just walk up to them and say, hey, this is what you need to do. I'd walk them and say, okay, tell me what's going on right now. What are you sensing? What are they doing? How can you change it? What can you do differently? So I got them thinking through the process and encouraging them. Mm -hmm. that's what I did
0: let me back up a second you mentioned that the teams were waterfalled in the 12s can you explain what that means
1: well what they did was all the 12s got put into a hat everybody from every state everybody from every state
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so all the boys were put in a hat all the girls were put in a hat so they picked out boys and they put three boys on my team they were from each uh, you know. so I think let's see uh, I had one from, uh, Arkansas, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, uh, Georgia and Mississippi. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, but it wasn't it done do.
0: by, it wasn't done by ranking or UTR or anything like that. It was just a random No, not, not,
1: not UTR, but I do it in the, in the how, exactly how they accomplished it. I couldn't tell you. But I do know that what they tried to do was um, each of the, oh, so let's go with the girls. So um, I had one girl that was number two in Southern. And she pulled out at the last minute and decided to play the 14th. So the number two girl on my team, who is ranked about 30th in Southern, got moved up to the one spot. Then the number three girl, who was ranked about thirty-five, got moved up to the second spot, and then I got a third girl who is, I think, ranked about fifty-second in Southern. So the kids, I would have the boys position one, two, and three, and the girls position one, two, and three.
0: But it was based on their Southern ranking. Yes. Okay. So it wasn't that they selected teams that had comparable. UTRs or comparable rankings it was just whoever you drew for your team got positioned according to their southern ranking
1: well okay so let's back up a little bit so
0: sorry this no
1: this is complicated yeah. this is complicated so what they did was when we had the initial call say like with Kentucky USJ Kentucky and me got on the call I was doing the 12. So, um, and then the competition, uh, board, uh, junior competition board was on there. So we took the three top ranked boys. Okay. And the three top ranked
0: girls in Kentucky, in Kentucky. Okay. Yep.
1: We went over their player records. We went over, um, their, you know, did they have good behavior? Did they have good sportsmanship? That kind of thing um and then the letter was sent out to them inviting them to the Southern Cup. Okay? Okay. All three all three boys accepted. All three girls accepted. Okay? So that was that's how that how it was handled in each state. Okay? Got it. Now, if somebody couldn't make it, Then the invite would go to the next person ranked. Got it. Okay. So that's why, like on my team, um, my highest boy was 20, then 21, and then 46. In Southern. In Southerns. Got it. That makes sense? Does that help explain?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But okay. then okay, so you got your, your three boys and three girls from Kentucky, came right. to Southern Cup, but they weren't on the same team. Everybody's yeah. everybody's six kids, well, their three girls, their three boys, were thrown into a hat and drawn onto different teams, not necessarily representing their own state.
1: Right. And I'm sure at some point they, after the draws were done, they looked at them to see if it needed to be adjusted. Cause I felt like everybody was equally, each team was fairly well matched against
0: other teams. Got it. So that you had competitive, yeah, you had competitive matches. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, With- I,
1: every single match that I saw there, uh, there was one, there was one, um, but every single match that I saw was, uh, it was head to head and tiebreakers. Wow. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, all right, now I have a better picture of how it all got organized. So then what did you hear from the kids out there? Because again, these are kids obviously that are playing individual tournaments um, to get these high sectional rankings. They have a lot of experience playing by themselves for themselves without, a, without coaching on court. Um, what kind of feedback did you hear?
1: Well, I had a great group of kids. I mean, I really, I mean, when I left, they were all hugging on me. I mean, I was loving it. Um, the, the kids, you know, when you go out on the court and the kid is suffering because they're not doing well, you're not going to push yourself on them either. You're going to try and, you know, like I had one where I had that issue that he was trying to work through what was going on. And, you know, I, I realized, okay, I've just got to be there to support him at this point. And then the next changeover, I was able to talk to him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's each child
0: is different and you have to respect each child. Well, what and we're, still, hear. We're, we're talking about 10, 11, 12 year olds as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I had a 10 year old, I had a 10 year old. Um,
0: and then I think they were
1: sixth and seventh graders.
0: Okay. And what so did they say? Grader. What did they say about playing as part of a team? Cause I suspect for some of these kids, it might've been their first time playing on a team.
1: Oh, it was, it was, but you have to remember some of them have played JTT too, when they were younger.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say, unless they came through JTT, but... Yeah, and several
1: of them, several on my team did, because I recognized them from sectional.
0: Mm -hmm. JTT, for those of you not familiar, Junior Team Tennis, and it is a USTA program, a team program. Um, Yeah. So, I mean... Did they like being part of a team? did they was it a hard adjustment for them to play for other people as opposed to just for themselves, or did they just kind of flow right into it?
1: I felt like everybody on my team kind of uh flowed right into it. um I do know some some of the coaches had a few difficult kids um not to say bad behavior or anything but just um and just not willing necessarily to listen to some coaching, but you know, it is what it is. And you got to respect that. I mean, if they know their mind, um, you know, that's up to them actually. I mean, you know, they're making those decisions on the court and they have been doing that for a while. Right.
0: And what about, Parents. I mean, are the parents there or are these kids strictly there with their team coach?
1: Oh yeah, the parents are there. There were a couple of parents that were a little
0: intense. <laughs> Not on my <laughs> Really? Tennis parents had- being intense? <laughs> Come on now.
1: <laughs> I had the best players and the best parents. Um, you know, parents at this level, parents know their children, know what they need, we're recognizing it. If I was coaching another player and um, they knew that their child needed something, they were right there and they, Tammy, Tammy, you know, come and, you know, help. Yeah. You know, Come and help. She needs to do this, 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 you know, and, you know, I'd go out to the court, you know, and it was time on the changeover. And, and I said, look, mom or dad's saying this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, highly involved. Um, really, for most of the part, this was such for me. This was an extraordinary event. I mean, I was in my element. It was the kids were fantastic. Um, it was just overall. It was just an incredible event.
0: When you say the parents on your team were great, what constitutes mm-hmm. a great parent in your mind as a coach? You know, what are as you looking for? Yeah, as a
1: coach, I'm looking for a parent who's going to be highly involved, highly encouraging, not overbearing, somebody who's not hanging on the fence, somebody who's giving their child time to digest what just happened, whether good or bad, and then waiting on their child to come forth and talk about it. Um, I'm looking for a parent that, is willing to allow me to do my job, um, and you know, work with me. Mm-hmm. You know, so some in, in, somebody quoted this. I don't know how long ago, but it takes a village to raise a champion, and that's the parent, that's the coach, that's the physio that's the mental coach you know it really does and everybody has to be willing to work together and compromise
0: right right so if kids want to get involved in southern cup or and i'm not even sure is there something comparable in other sections do you know
1: well there's always going to be
0: tournaments but the team events
1: Oh yeah, there there are team you know like zonals and stuff like that, um, and that's a really long, intense team event. Um, but there will be team, there will be more team events coming. Um, you know that's that's the that's the way of the movement. This is going to allow that disparity between the growth spurt. Like I've got a ten year old who's as tall as me right now. Wow. Yeah, and you know both parents are six foot. And there was one young lady um, on another team uh, this last weekend that just dominated everybody. And uh, she was taller than me, had muscle development, was just barely 11, you know, Um, real intense on the court and, you know, beautiful player, you know. Um, you know, but it is what it is. And, you know, these team, the team challenges and the team events, this is going to allow for an equal playing field, a level playing
0: field. Mm -hmm. So if a player is interested in participating in one of these team events where they have to be selected is there anything the player can do to get on the radar of the selection committee, or is it simply based on ranking?
1: Well, it depends. It depends on what, you know, the tournament director who comes up with the event or, you know, whether it's USGA Kentucky or one of the other uh, events, um, you know, it just, it just depends. Uh, The parent needs to be proactive and looking at tournaments within the state and surrounding states and now if you've got a player that's playing uh the southern level tournaments then yeah they've got to be looking at southern level tournaments and this takes a lot of effort now probably one of the easier ways to do it instead of getting onto the app and looking at it would be to contact your rep your tsr from your state Uh, that's your tennis service rep um from your state. So and find out, hey, what events are coming up? What's on the radar? What can I do? You know, and if there's one, if they you know, JTT is a perfect example of everybody being included. You know, we've got some really great JTT teams.
0: Right. And then there are also some entry level, some kids that are just learning the game.
1: There, there's entry level too, and so and everything um, in between, <laughs> and everything in between, yeah. you know, and then, um, you know, there's, diff- there's, you know, the advanced group, and then the you know, novice intermediate group. So, you know, it just really depends, um, you know, and then there's the fall scholastic. If I, I know, uh, we have a uh, team tennis in the fall for our uh, juniors. I don't know if every state has that, but I know that we do, and that's another team event. And then we have the JTT, which usually starts in
0: May and goes through August. Right. And with JTT, there is a pathway with JTT where you progress from your local team, you progress to, I don't know what all the levels are, but eventually to national where you can win a national championship. That's
1: right. So the the 10s don't advance. In the 10s, they have an advanced group and an intermediate group. Um, But they go to sectionals because, you know, uh, I've got uh, one year I had the 10s, the 12s, for like three years, state champions. Um, And then the 14s were, uh, we went to sectionals. Uh, We got the wild card. We were the runner up that year. but. yeah, so they have so the tens have got two levels, the twelves have got two levels, then every and then everybody else has got intermediate and advanced. But on the twelves, here's the kicker: on the twelves, the advanced team is yellow ball, regulation ball. The intermediate group
0: is green dot. Interesting for twelves. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's really great because then there are are kids that are like could be nine years old who have been playing green dot ball. Um, but they're not ready for the yellow ball. So they
0: play the 12 and under green dot intermediate on the JTT. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of options for these kids outside the individual tournament structure. And I think that's the message that I, I want people to, you know, walk away with after listening to this podcast is especially for the younger kids. It's not just about playing individual tournaments. There are so many other ways for them to be involved in the sport and compete in the sport in a manner that's maybe a little less intimidating and maybe a little more fun for them uh, than just being out there on their own week in and week out. Right. Yeah. And so, you, you know, contacting your TSR is a great suggestion. Also, I always encourage parents to make sure to introduce themselves to the head of their junior comp in their section and, you know, make yep. sure they establish a relationship with the head of junior comp. And that person can be very, very helpful as your child is going through their tennis journey and, you know, you know, moving from level to level and hoping to get invited to camps and to team events like Southern Cup and zonals and other things like that. And, you know, it's, it does, as you said, Tammy, I mean, the parents have to be proactive. They have to learn how the sport works and make sure that they're opening the door for their child to have the opportunities that they're earning.
1: Right. Exactly. And another thing that I've always suggested to my parents and to my students is that go and watch a tournament. See what it's all about. Go yeah, it's a great a idea. Tournament. You know, it doesn't matter what, you know, level it is. Go and watch. Go and watch a college tournament. You know, we're right next to the Western Southern. Every year I take up a group of kids every year. You know, let's go watch some tennis. Get them watching it on the TV. You know, watch watch any of the grand slams or
0: anything that's on the tennis channel. Um, just even watch it it and- the high school matches. I mean, there's oh, yeah. some really fun tennis happening at the high school level.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's going to be, like I said, there's going to be more team challenges, team events. Um, I host a lot of things uh, for the kids, the 12 and under, um, you know, we do a lot of tournaments at, at our club and then, uh, USTA, UTR, um, and I host a lot of play day events, um, you know, Halloween's coming up, so I'll have, you know, a fun event where the kids are playing, we'll do a lot of fun drills and games, then we'll, you know, we'll turn the lights off on the court and play Ghost in the Dark or something silly like that, you know? and that just sticks in the i mean i've got kids who are 16 coming up to me hey are you still going to do the halloween event <laughs> 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 you know so
0: yeah, it has an impact. And and for sure, you know, especially with our younger players, finding a coach who understands how to engage with them on their level, as you said, Tammy, is so key to keeping them interested and involved and passionate about tennis. Right, right. And especially especially for the girls. Especially
1: yeah. for the girls, you know. Because we've got uh the the it's ninety percent of girls are quitting tennis by the time they're 17.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's a sad statistic. That is a really sad statistic.
1: So, and then we don't have anybody playing college tennis and then we don't have anybody going into developing into female coaches.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's a cycle for sure. And, you know, learning how to get them interested and keep them interested is a huge challenge. And one which you, Tammy Anderson, have accomplished with I mean, the utmost proficiency and excellence. And, you know, those kids are really lucky to get to work with you. I want to just let my listeners know that I will have links to these various events in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So if you want to take a look at the draws and, you know, the tournament pages, um, those links will be in the show notes. And Tammy, if if people want to reach out to you, if they have questions about Southern cup or getting involved in their sectional team events, is there a good way for them to reach you?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, they can email me, they can text me, they can call the club. I don't have
0: any problem with that at all. Okay, great. And we'll have all those links in the show notes as well. Is there anything else you want to leave our audience with today?
1: Um, just parents, you know, this is a uh, a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a village to build that champion, and it's definitely two steps forward, one step back. And you got to develop some patience.
0: <laughs> that is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, patience is key. Well, Tammy Anderson, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out parentingaces.com.